0: Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler.
1: I'm Jesse.
2: And I'm Jesse's annoyed little brother. <laughs> I'm Eli.
0: We had some technical <laughs> difficulties setting up, as per usual. Um, look, Jesse's Jesse's not the best with technology. I'm
1: okay. not. <laughs> I mean, I think even calling it technical difficulties is a little of a stretch. I would call it like a technical hiccup.
0: Well, yeah, you just weren't. You didn't know how to pick your microphone setting in the Zoom meeting that right. we're in, which... You know, look. We've only been doing this for I think Jesse's been doing it for five years, um, right. which we didn't do. Those yeah. were all in Zoom. That was some pre-COVID right, days right. in there. But yeah, you'd still would, would think he could set up the the audio recording. Um, but we're not there yet. We're not there yet. We're still re- <laughs> we're, the Orioles maybe have completed their rebuild, but uh, the warehouse podcast has not just yet. <laughs> right. So we'll give it another
1: <laughs> give it another four to six year window <laughs> yeah. and to, you know, and then we'll have it together.
2: We're exactly. saving funds, getting some coaching in place, building out the development system, and uh, yeah. yeah, hoping for some high draft picks. We'll see.
0: Yeah, we may have to pull a Tyler Wells situation. Jesse might have to go back to double A for a little bit, you know, reset. <laughs> go on the IL, yeah. yeah, deload a la DL Hall. But anyway, good to see y'all again. We haven't talked to each other since the end of the regular season because then we did the individual. ALDS episodes Eli and myself which feels like forever ago because I think it was almost a month ago that we did those um I think in the game three recap Eli said well we're probably not going to wait until after the world series to do a season recap because we don't have to <laughs> wait that long well right. you know extenuating circumstances uh, here we are.
1: you also like specifically mentioned like as a joke I think like we'll record in November you know and <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. here we are in Well, yeah,
2: I had had said we were hoping that we would have to wait until November to recap the season. And I said, but unfortunately, that's not the case anymore. So here we are naturally on November
0: 5th. Yeah, recapping the season. Of course, just that's how things go. I mean, we are, I should say, you know, we are, we've talked about it, we may revamp the podcast a little bit over the winter, try to give you some more, more frequent episodes. Um, We say that we hope it's going to happen. But yeah, here we are a month later recapping the 2023 Orioles. I think it's not it's not a terrible thing that we've waited a few weeks here. It gives us some distance. It allowed us to watch the World Series unfold. Of course, the Texas Rangers did win it. That makes me feel a little better when I can say hey, the Orioles lost to the World Series champs. Like, there's no shame in that. Jesse, you're shaking your head. There, in the affirmative. There's
1: not. But it doesn't really make me feel that better. Um, OK, yeah. Okay. I mean, there's right. I mean, there is no shame in it. There's no shame in losing to a, uh, a Bruce Bochi managed playoff team in particular. And uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. To me,
2: it does seem like sometimes there are just teams of destiny. And like, I don't know, like when the Nats were running through in 2019, it was like, they're so terrible for the majority of the season. And then it just, it's magic. It's, it's all working it's- out. And the Rangers obviously took some lumps. They lost to Grom early in the year, they, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, they ended up here. And I don't know, the manner in which they beat the Diamondbacks was very similar to the manner in which they beat us. And yeah. that was like a lot of power on display, you know. And yeah, I, it, it made me feel better. Like the Rangers just looked really, really good. They clearly had some like electricity behind them. Corey Seager is maybe the best postseason player of all time. You know, he's got yeah. more home runs than Reggie Jackson in the same amount of time. He's the only position player with Reggie Jackson to have two World Series MVPs. It's like they're an elite squad. And that's what you get when you spend hundreds of millions of dollars to <laughs> take the best players and put them on your team. You know, it's a novel concept, but um yeah, I, I don't know. The Rangers are very good and I, I felt better personally.
1: This team of destiny point you're making uh, is why uh, I'm sort of feel confident that even if the Orioles had been able to get past the Royals in the 2014 ALCS, that we probably would have lost to the Giants in the World Series. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I I get that team of destiny feeling, even though I don't really, I wouldn't really put that on the Rangers, but.
2: Okay. Yeah, maybe destiny is wrong. I, yeah, I do, think, I, I do because... think that's the wrong thing. But but there's just a team, and the postseason is theirs. You know, just for whatever reason, it just belongs to them. And like clearly, the Rangers were the team this
0: year, in my eyes. Well, I mean, I will say going back to your point, and this isn't a Rangers podcast, but uh, you know, we were talking, we were kind of texting during the game through the ALDS because Dean was getting lit up so bad. It seemed like he he must be tipping his pitches. It's just like crazy that the Rangers aren't missing anything. But that's kind of just how the Rangers hit the rest of the postseason, too. I mean, the Diamondbacks pitching staff, good most of the year, but the Rangers were just teeing off on them. So, yeah, I mean, they, they built a squad to win in the postseason. They didn't have all the pieces, I guess, that they probably thought they would at the start of the year, like DeGrom and, and Scherzer wasn't as impactful in the postseason as they probably thought he would be when they traded for him. Got hurt, you know, but it worked out. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's it stinks looking back for the Orioles to get swept. You would have liked to see them win a game because now I think we're one of the teams in the league with one of the longer droughts of uh, getting a win in the postseason. The Orioles haven't won a postseason game since 2014. It's been it'll be a decade next year. Um, but I I feel pretty confident coming out of 2023 that that win in the postseason is going to come one of these years um if not a world series win at least a couple wins in the postseason so um well, see. well with that we only
1: had the one game against the blue jays right in in the playoffs 16. since yeah. that point so i yeah. mean it's a playoff drought but we're not like the twins who have been repeatedly going and losing sure. you know we just haven't been to the playoffs i well, guess is which... right. Which is, is the main worse. problem? I think is worse, though. Right, right, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> for sure, for
2: sure. And and also the Twins won a game this year, so
0: yeah, it's over. So you can't lay that right, on them right. They won a series, yes. so yeah,
1: they did. Anyway,
0: let's talk about the twenty twenty three Orioles. Um, they won one hundred and one games, uh, one of the best records in Orioles history, like top four, top five. First time the team's won hundred games since nineteen eighty, which. You know, if you're 42 or younger, you've never seen the Orioles win that many games. They've won a World Series more recently than they've won 100 games coming into this season, um, which is pretty remarkable. Um, But that said, I feel like, you know, coming right out of that ALDS, there were some people second guessing and whining and complaining, as is the natural state of a sports enjoyer. But uh, Jesse, I guess I'll ask you first, was the 2023 season a success for the Baltimore Orioles?
1: I mean, I think it's pretty indisputable <laughs> that it is, of course. Yeah. Um, 101 wins is obviously uh no joke. I mean, it takes you're an elite team if you win 101 games. Um, at least you're an elite regular season team. Uh as I think me and Tyler talked about on the phone a little while ago, there's a big distinction between being an elite playoff team and elite and an elite. Uh, regular season team Uh, but we were definitely an elite regular regular season team and uh, yeah there's obviously a lot to build on with this season and a lot to be encouraged about
0: yeah absolutely I mean it's you know there's always going to be naysayers about everything I think people start Talking about, oh, if the Orioles actually spent money, they could have actually won the World Series, or, you know, this pitching staff was never built to, you know, pitch in the big game. It's a, you know, and those are some of those are valid criticisms, but I think, you know, especially these last five years or four years or whatever of Orioles baseball we've endured going back to that final year of the Buck Showalter Dan Duquette era that was supposed to be a competitive season ended up being an absolute disaster, the worst worst Orioles season ever, one of the worst. MLB seasons of all time Um, it was a lot to endure so the fact that we got to enjoy a lot of really fun baseball this summer the Orioles got to the playoffs you know and the and the future looks just as bright as ever I I, right now there's no reason to think the Orioles are going to take any sort of significant step back next year um, which is not always the case for a team that wins 101 games and then flames out but Eli I'll ask you the same question do you view this season as a success
2: yeah, you have to. Uh, similar to what Jess said, you know, there's there are no teams that win 100 games that are not elite teams. Um, you know, the like the the error bars for a mistake team to win 101 games are like, ah, they should have been a 95-win team. And a 95-win team wins most divisions, you know, is an elite team. So uh, you have to look back and you have to look at progression made across the board you know, I think particularly for the pitching staff, for me, I think Braddish, I think Rodriguez, I think even Kramer for so much of the year. Uh, if Tyler Wells can put together a full season, you know, we like had major, major improvements on the pitching staff. And I think you have to feel really good about that. I think we always trusted that the Adleys and Gunners would have been there. And they very much were. Um, we trusted that the core of our offense, you know, with Santander, Mountcastle, you Um would have been there. But yeah, the pitching staff coming along for me is kind of the most uh, like maybe the surprising portion of the year that makes it feel like extra good and extra sustainable heading into the next season.
0: Yeah. I think that's a really good point. That's definitely the, they didn't get reinforcements going into 2023 that you probably would have expected them to get or not expected, but you would have hoped for them to get, they kind of did what you would have expected the Orioles to do, which is go get a veteran and hope everything else works out behind them or alongside them. And the veteran this year was Kyle Gibson, who we all thought would be a slight improvement over Jordan Lyles. And I think he was exactly that. He was a, a slight improvement over Jordan Lyles. Um, but Eli, I'll go back to you because you're kind of already talking about maybe things that went better than you expected. It went right for the Orioles. You said the pitching staff and, you know, if you want to expand on that, feel free. But if, if there's anything else you think really went right for this Orioles team.
2: Yeah, I guess uh, I- I'll expand in the direction of. Uh, I think we had some wins, like, for the sake of Orioles pitching development, you know, beyond the starting rotation, like the continued success in finding relievers, a la Yenier Cano, a la Danny Coulomb. Um, I think we are, like, consistently proving out our ability to take somebody with something interesting and turn them into a complete package. Um which makes the most recent Tucker Davidson waiver claim actually pretty interesting uh, with the splitter that he was flashing at the end of the year. Um, so, you, you know, I think that, you know, that might not be necessarily a development because we had seen it with Baker. We had seen it with a couple other folks that we had brought in on waiver claims, CNL Perez, but it continued to be right for the Orioles. We continued to be able to find holes in the rough and then. I guess on top of that, on the position player side, you've got Aaron Hicks, you've got Ryan O'Hearn, who both, you know, were phenomenal contributors to this team. Uh, Hicks is a free agent. O'Hearn we will have again next year. So, um, you know, there were a lot of good things happening on the periphery as well as that main improvement in the starting rotation, I think.
0: Yeah. I mean, all good points. Jesse, was there any one of the things Eli mentioned that you think really stood out or maybe something you think in particular went well or, or exceeded expectations for you that helped lead to the Orioles success?
1: Yeah, I think it's worth emphasizing just the durability of the starting rotation. Um, of course uh, the starting rotation uh, could have used serious improvements, but uh, it was definitely stable enough to last the entire season. Um, I guess Tyler Wells is, you know, the obvious exception to that. Um, but overall, uh, this was definitely a competent starting rotation, uh, throughout the course of the year at a bare minimum. And, uh, yeah, that's that's, uh, was a big concern going into the season. And we had, uh, several guys, uh, in the rotation step up and and make it actually pretty good. Um, so whether it's a good postseason rotation, you know, I would still argue that it's, it wasn't great. Um, but, uh, and of course, the results weren't there. Um, but uh, in terms of like getting us through the long 162 game stretch of the regular season, uh, we had a pretty good rotation for it.
0: Yeah. I think going back to your durability point, um, not even just the rotation, I feel like the team in general was durable and rather injury free. I know, of course, at the end of the year, Bautista getting hurt ultimately is going to miss the 2024 season sucks. Cedric had his groin stuff that, you know, if you look at his numbers before and after he was not nearly as productive of a player after, but apart from that, you know, yeah, Jesse, uh, Jesse's mentioning in the chat here with us that Mountcastle had his vertigo that, you know, he came back from that and looked like a better player. So not that it was a good thing, but it may have represented a good sort of reset for him uh, psychologically, at least Um, but in general like gunner stayed healthy adley stayed healthy santander stayed healthy like the big guys were there day in and day out and then of course the starting rotation for i think the second year in a row cuz last year they were really healthy too which they were thinner last year than this year you you had some more room for wiggle um uh it just the Orioles didn't get hurt a lot which i think is an important thing to think about because it's probably not always going to happen they're not always going to ha- especially with how much adley caught this year Um, we've talked about this on the show that he just catches a lot more than most other catchers do. Uh, it's not something you probably want to do all the time. I think the fact that James McCann, I think gained more trust as the year went on to catch, especially down the stretch in September was great. Um, but yeah, in general, the Orioles had really good injury luck and that's not always going to happen, but you would hope that the team will be more fleshed out with talent throughout versus sort of top heavy as it, I, I think it kind of was this year. I, I think you can point at some weaknesses on the roster that hopefully they can, they can shore up this off season. but yeah, injury luck is just the other thing I wanted to add in there.
1: Youth uh, is probably helpful for that.
0: Sure. Yeah, Definitely. absolutely. Uh, you know, but then there are guys like Santander who's a little older. Adam Frazier is I think a polarizing player for the 2023 Orioles, but I think did the job they brought him in to do. Didn't get hurt. Um, But yeah, youth is absolutely part of the part of the puzzle there for sure. Um, On the opposite end of the spectrum, what went wrong for the Orioles? What kind of held the Orioles back from getting even better? You know, I can't say they should have won 110 games necessarily, but, you know, what could have allowed the Orioles to progress farther into the playoffs? Uh, Jess, you seem like you have an answer ready. You're shaking your head in the affirmative. Uh, Do you want to go first?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I think it's sort of a point sort of all of us have been making um but sort of doing what the rangers did at the middle of the season um and getting sort of more front end rotation guys um and veterans at that so i think that was uh at the time of course we're not michael elias we don't know what is required we don't know you know these sorts of things uh we don't know ultimately who was completely unavailable um you know but if you're looking at it uh the trade deadline for the orioles was uh a a bust it was a complete bust we got uh jack flaherty and he was not helpful uh for the team uh just simply put he was not helpful and um yeah i'm sorry and fujinami and fujinami yeah um so uh yeah, there was a there was a gaping hole uh, left at uh, a big opportunity for the Orioles to really reinforce this team and to really show seriousness at making an attempt at the World Series. And I think uh, I think they chose not to do that.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's a good point. It's something people have brought up is you know, although we think the window is just opening for the Orioles, there's no guarantee of that. That even if there's better. Orioles teams they're not necessarily going to win 101 games you know this was a rare opportunity that you know the Orioles definitely didn't do as much as they possibly could to support this team and you know you I think we all see some holes that this team had but you still would have liked to have seen more of an effort um especially when the moves like the Jack Flaherty move was such a predictable disappointment from the get-go like what was the possible ceiling for that guy their fifth the fifth starter like okay that's not what we needed. Absolutely. Um, but
2: when we yeah. picked him up, he of all qualified pitchers in MLB had the highest, slip. it was 1.51 <laughs> when we traded for him, yeah, right. you know, not after he struggled with us. That was before we traded for him.
0: Uh, be, be honest though. You were a little excited after the blue. Jays I was right. The yeah. Right. His, for sure. His, his velo was up. We're like, all right, we got a guy. Um, yeah. Didn't turn out to be the case. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Eli, what about you? Did anything uh, disappoint you, or or maybe you know went wrong for the Orioles?
2: Yeah, I I guess um, I don't know. I, I I will try not to repeat everything Jesse said because the thing for me is also the trade deadline, and I, I guess you know drawing it further back, looking into last offseason, you know the failure to bring in any sort of really meaningfully impactful talent. Um, You you know, I I think that everything that the Orioles are doing in-house, they are controlling to the fullest and they are excelling at. Um, But, you know, there is a certain point when you just need to identify some people who are already doing it at the highest level and augment your team with that. Um, So, you you know, I'm looking forward to this year where we might be able to link up with some hitting needy type team that you know has a ton of pitching or something of the sort like a dodgers or a mariners for a trade but i, I yeah i think that i'm getting off track i think that the biggest <laughs> thing that funny. went wrong for me is we failed to improve the thing that we already had from external um and you, you know there are you know, like like you said, Tyler, there is an argument to be made that because the Orioles are so young, because our core is completely intact for next year, w- you know, we should be even better. And it's almost, you know, like beneficial to save our resources and gear up for those years in particular, um, because, you know, like we'll probably regress a little bit. We probably won't win 101 games next year. If we win 95 games next year, you are still in the thick of the playoffs. You are still in the thick of the division race. You're still, you know, right up in there with everything. Um, And if our guys are a year older, they've seen the playoffs once, there's an argument to be made that it could all work out better next year. But, you know, like, it, it felt like there was... Uh, You know, it didn't feel like a lack of attention to this year. You know, obviously everybody was invested, um, but the prices went high at the trade deadline. And the more and more that you saw these guys going for, you know, half season rentals going for two top 100 prospects in Max Scherzer and such, you know, then you start to think, okay, well, I don't think the Orioles are going to do that. And we were, you know, rightly disappointed in that.
0: Yeah, I think like digging into that even a little bit more, it, it kind of ties back to what I was saying about the injury luck being in general good for the Orioles. I think the one place it wasn't as good was the bullpen. Um, and you would have liked to have seen if you couldn't go get a top level starter because there weren't a ton of them available. And we saw some of them fall apart. Like I think back in late July, Lucas Giolito seemed like a good idea. Right. Obviously, he played for two different teams after the trade deadline, didn't pitch well for either one of them. Um, you would have liked to have seen them be a little more aggressive in getting some bullpen arm, so that, you know, they didn't know that Felix Bautista was going to get hurt, but we already kind of knew Dylan Tate was done for the year. Michael Givens wasn't working out. Um, luckily, CNL Perez bounced back from being pretty bad early in the year. Um, but, you know, you knew Brian Baker was falling apart. You know, instead we're going with Jacob Webb. Uh, luckily, Cano was good for most of the year, but you would have liked to have seen them go and get some eighth, ninth inning guys. I can't remember off the top of my head who all went and what the cost was. I know Paul Sewald was really good for the Diamondbacks. Obviously, right. he, he blew a save in the World Series. But in general, that type of a caliber of a pitcher that you'd like to see them go and get and shore up things. Because if you can't get a guy that's going to give you five good innings in the postseason, maybe you can get a couple more guys that you feel confident throwing in the fifth, sixth inning of a postseason game. Um, whereas, you know, Jacob Webb pitched in back-to-back games of the ALDS was bad in both of them. Brian Baker came into an important part of the game, walk the bases loaded, you know, and I said it on our ALDS, one of our ALDS episodes, Brian Baker shouldn't have even been on the world series or the, the world series roster, the ALDS <laughs> roster. Um, so you would have liked to have seen the Orioles make some moves that maybe would have made that, uh, not, not that decision, not possible. Obviously Fujinami didn't even make the roster. So um Yeah, I think it all kind of ties together. Obviously, the 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 trade deadline was a bust. And, um, you know, it carries right into the offseason where they say that they're going to make moves. Elias has backed off of the whole. um, What did he say? Take off. off. Lift off. off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He's backed off of that since then. So we'll see. Uh, We'll see if he's changed his tune. But, yeah, I think we're all uh, in in agreement there.
1: I mean, uh from my perspective and not to you know mix this and venture into like postseason preview what territory are you, what are you doing man? we have separate with, episodes remember no but is- <laughs> with that said i don't i just don't see any incentive uh for you know we put a hundred win team together basically with this roster right like you said you can assume it's gonna be or you can predict that it'll probably be somewhere in 95 94 win team next year so what You know, if this is the situation, what's the incentive to make a move in the offseason and not just, you know, defer and wait till the deadline? So, I mean, the only potential argument is availability and stuff like that. But
0: why not? You you say that every winter, I think. I feel like you have that same talking player. It's like, well, why would you make a trade? Why would a team make a trade now versus the deadline? But if you if you waggle enough prospects in front of them, that's the incentive. And the Orioles have more right. than enough prospects to make that happen. Um, yeah, I, I, I think well,
1: generally... No, I, I'm saying, what's the Orioles' incentive to do anything to make the roster better well, in the off season? Because
0: you can get them now versus they might not be there later or, you know, it's... Right,
1: right, right. And that's yeah. what I meant by availability, but yeah. Yeah, so, no,
2: I, I think Jess makes a good point, though. Like, you know, the Mariners GM, Jerry Depoto got blasted for these comments but you know he said i'm trying to win like 56 or 54 percent of our games over the next 10 years yeah you know which equates to an 87 88 win team and you know that really is the mindset that gms have despite the fact that they are not necessarily saying that on the surface You, you know people blasted him but the fact of the matter is you know like if you're an 88 win team over a 10 year stretch like that's a really successful run um So, you you know, there is a question as to like, you know, how much do you value the like, I don't know, how much do you value October? You, You know, when you are going ahead and you're putting yourself in a position to get into the playoffs every single year, you know, it's kind of like the Cardinals have done for the last 10 years. You know, they've been totally happy to just be a good team and they make the playoffs every year, and they haven't done anything since, you know, David Freeze and whatever. Um, So, uh, you you know, there is a world out there where because you have a good team already and you are going to be that, whether or not you make a move or not, you know, some huge move, um, like there's a world where that is enough for a GM and you can protect the future even more so. And there's a certain amount of like, I don't know hubris necessary to push chips in and go for it in any one given year um that I'm not entirely sure Michael Elias has
0: <laughs> Well I'll say this though I mean I think you know the Cardinals are an example of being in a division that affords them certain things that the Orioles don't exist in that division The Orioles are the the bottom feeder you know typically year to year of the AL East they are the team that gets right picked apart at the deadline because while the Yankees spent a bunch of money, the Red Sox spent a bunch of money, the Rays are smarter than everybody else. And the Blue Jays are typically like the the Blue Jays go through a cycle every like five years where they're pretty good. Again, the Orioles are the team that gets picked apart. The Cardinals exist in a division with the pirates who usually suck for the last 25 years. The Brewers go through cycles, um, you know, and then out West with the Mariners, they've got the A's who aren't trying, you know, it's just like, there's different, the Mariners can try to be an 88 win team and hopefully something goes right that they can win 94 games. The Orioles, I think, I mean, they've obviously stumbled, not stumbled. They've, they've had a, a direction here where they are good because of a concerted effort to develop young talent and all that stuff. And I think that's all valuable and, and true, but the Yankees are going to be better next year, probably than they were this year. Cause I think they've realized some flaws. The Red Sox will probably be better. And it's just like, there's that, those elements at work that I would love for the Orioles to be aggressive versus letting the game come to them, which is what Mike Ias's game has been so far. But I'll also say this about Mike Elias. He, he does occasionally like zig when you think he's going to zag and that can be a good thing. And this is the first time he's sort of had that springboard of a clearly good team. I think we all kind of knew the 2022 team had some flaws that I didn't totally disagree with them not pushing their chips in at the deadline and instead selling off Lopez and Mancini, I got it because the team had some flaws this year's team still had some flaws, but you could, you you fix the flaws. You know what I mean? You don't say, well, we, we aren't good enough. We just, let's not really try. You say, well, we could be good enough. Um, So, so we'll see, but I I get the, I get the Ivy league thinking that a lot of front offices have nowadays. Um, But there are different levels for for these teams and the Orioles unfortunately exist in a level that they need to have heightened pressure on them to perform um because it can slip away pretty fast I think we've sort of seen that with the Blue Jays a little bit um and it could happen to the Orioles too and I just I don't want it to so we'll see but I, I get what you're saying I get what you're saying totally um all right well let's talk about negatives because there were some negatives this year not necessarily on the field um, we know we talked about players or units that maybe disappointed us, but in general, things were very good for the Orioles on the field. But there were some negatives off the field. And Eli, I know you've been kind of looking up some of these, and a lot of them revolve around um, a singular person within the organization. Would you want to reel off some of the stuff that's happened uh, negatively to the Orioles this year?
2: Yeah, I, I won't even say I looked it up. These are all okay. sitting on the top of my mind, ready to rip. <laughs> um, I don't know. We had the John Angelus... Uh, comments during spring training. He had the interview with Tyler Kepner um, and then the whole fiasco with uh, announcing the lease with Wes Moore on the day that we clinched um, when there was not in fact a lease signed. Um, The Orioles are not in fact locked into being in Baltimore for the next 30 years. And there was of course the Kevin Brown fiasco. Um, I think generally there were a lot of distractions and a lot of reasons to feel Pessimistic as an Orioles fan, that what we just saw might, in fact, be the ceiling. Um, and over the next couple years, you know, as guys, you know, as Adley Rutschman starts to hit arbitration, he might become a trade candidate because we're trying to turn into the Rays or something like that. Um, but you know, we're trying to turn into the Guardians or whatever. I, I I think that there's a lot of reason to be like legitimately scared, shaking in boots, scared of the direction that John Angelos is trying to take this team. Um, I think, you know, like credit to Michael Elias that I think he's good enough at his job that we could still field a competitive team with that. We could be something, excuse me, on the order of the raise, but you know, that's just not the team that I want to be. I don't think that's the team that anyone wants to be where, you know, so exciting. We signed Blake Snell to a three-year deal and we're actually giving him 10 million a year or something like that. Ah, well, Now he's got two years, 20 mil left on his contract. Let's trade him off. You know, it's just like, it's depressing. You never get to get attached to any, like, of your favorite players. Um, So, in general, like, Angelus's seemingly, like, lack of willingness to worry about the baseball team. You know, he said his primary job was to, like, uh, bring concerts to Camden Yards. And then, you know, like saying $150, $200 million contract is way too much. We'd have to raise ticket prices, et cetera. And then, like, just, you know, his seemingly, like, tiny, tiny ego uh, – or I'm sorry, massive ego, tiny, like, tolerance for crit- for criticism um, in shutting down Kevin Brown, who's just undeniably one of the best announcers in baseball these days. It, it, it's all, like it, – you, you just wonder what the ceiling of happiness – is on this team in terms of on-field and off-field success uh, with this guy at the helm.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's you'd love to see a a lease get done, and then you can see the Angelos family sell the team off, which has been kind of the murmurings going on in the background, I think, through a lot of this, too, is, you know, Peter's not doing well, uh, John and Lewis hate each other, their mom wants to sell the team, and I would feel fine with that if there is a lease in place. I would feel very trepidatious if there's not a lease in place that you sell them to a new unknown entity because you know say what you will about the Angelos family historically but they do have Baltimore roots now of course John has the Nashville stuff going on I think that's more noise than signal but um yeah it's it's not been a great a great year for old Johnny there but Jess do you have any sort of big takeaway from the John Angelos stuff and I don't know how are you feeling about that situation
1: um I guess I would just say it's a it's a reminder of sort of the unfortunate way in which this game is run and uh the unfortunate way in which uh us as fans are sort of held captive by particular personalities and uh part you know particular ownership groups or owners of teams and stuff like that um so uh, I think it's a lot it, I think it's a thing that a lot of fans don't think about regularly because sort of out of sight out of out of mind and you know that there's so much attention to what's on the field and whether it's a disastrous team or whether it's a good team and there's not the proper sort of consideration for the forces behind the scenes that lead to uh, the sort of results on the field right um, so uh It's a reminder of that. And then, yeah, I think like when something like the Kevin Brown thing happens and we're all just sort of there wondering, well, where is this guy? What's going on? You know, he's been with us the whole year and he's just not on the air anymore. Um, It sort of brings it to the forefront of people's minds a little bit more. Um, But yeah, I mean, we obviously here have no love for John Angelos and, uh, um you know it's sort of a problem that is going to continue unless the the game really restructures itself in in a massive sort of way so which you know probably will not happen in the foreseeable future at least (laughs) so
0: well yeah let's uh, i think we need like society at large oh absolutely right (laughs) absolutely
1: yeah that's what it would require right yeah
0: there, there was a an opinion piece in the baltimore banner i i didn't read all of it admittedly but the gist of it was uh, these folks pushing for it was either the city of Baltimore or the state of Maryland to like get an ownership stake in the Orioles if they were to give this deal that Peter Angelos waits once, which is like not a ridiculous thing at all because it's public money. But right. of course, it's not going to happen because right. we live in a cesspool of a world, you know, what I mean? like not, you know, you know what I mean, though? It's just but yeah, I'm totally with you no, None of us, I can't think of anybody that is really a fan of their team's owner, but you just want the owner to stay out of the way in general. Like, look, buddy, you spent the money to buy the team. You, yes, you bankroll stuff. Thank you so much for, we'll grovel at your feet for it, but you're not a baseball person. So at least John Angelos has, has that awareness that he's not a baseball person, but yet he still wants to, you know, put his thumb on the scale and kind of get in the way, which is, um, really unfortunate, um because, you know, he said something about, you know, revitalizing the city of Baltimore with this deal. Like, okay, revitalizing the city of Baltimore is great. A, a baseball stadium deal does not do that. Like, there are so many other things. Are you like, are you physically, you know, fixing food deserts? Are you improving education? Like, are you getting corruption out of politics? Clearly not. You're like, you know, arm in arm with Wes Moore. So I'm sure there's something going on there. Like, It's just it's a ridiculous statement that we all realize is ridiculous um, and unfortunately just have to deal with it. But the sooner you can kind of just get out of the way and I don't have to see him anymore would be great. Um,
1: Right. Like as soon as the lease gets signed, poverty in
0: Baltimore is going
1: to be gone. (laughs) You know?
0: Exactly. Just got to build that super complex between Camden Yards and Raven Stadium. Yeah.
2: Fundamentally, like the concept of a couple bars and restaurants between – Camden Yards and Raven Stadium, like having any meaningful impact, you, you know, it's not, ah, it might be gone too far, but it, it's going to be like, you know, people descending on the city. Like, sure, they will spend some money there and then they will all leave it. You, you know, it's right. like, I, that's why, as a whole, as an investment for a city, it's really not a good investment to bring a stadium in as opposed to like, building up that area with small businesses, you know, and like actually investing in, um, you know, the people in the area itself, rather than, you know, everybody coming from outside in the County to descend on this one event and then leaving.
0: Well, and it's also, it's, it's also just like one last thing. It's like ludicrous that they keep comparing it to what the Braves have set up the battery. It, it is out in like the middle of nowhere where the right. brave stadium is like, right. of course they have all this stuff there. That, that is the destination is the, that the, the city is Baltimore. The Orioles park is in the middle of the city in, in downtown. Right. Like, yeah, there's parking lots around it, and there's not like a ton to do literally right there, but you can walk from restaurants to the city. Like it already exists It you just want to put more money in your pocket because it'll be land you control. It's just like, so right. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah.
2: He wants all these businesses to come and say, hey, I will pay you this much money to have a spot there and then we'll give you this percent of our sales. And then, you know, like it, it, it's all just like, I want to develop real estate and I want the city to fund it. That That's entirely what he's doing.
0: Yeah, it's ludicrous. Absolutely anyway, sorry Anyways. for the rant. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's necessary because it, it, it does put a black eye on the entire season, unfortunately. Um, but hopefully something that, is is gone by the time the season starts. We'll see. Um, all right, let, let's talk so real quick. Well, it doesn't have to be real quick, but what we also wanted to do was compare the reality of the oriole season to some of our preseason uh predictions. Because if you go back and listen, which Eli did, he went back and listened to our preseason
2: uh I, I did it so they don't have to.
0: Yeah, because please don't subject yourselves to that. It was probably ridiculously long. I'm sure <laughs> pointless statements here and there. Um So anyway, we're going to run through a couple of predictions we made prior to the season and then talk about the reality of it. So just real quick, win-loss record. We were all pretty much in agreement here. It was very close. Eli was slightly more optimistic. He predicted the Orioles would go 84 and 78. And Jesse and I both predicted 83 and 79. And Eli did have a pull quote here from Jesse. Where he said, sort of going to feel like somewhat of a lost year. So, Jesse, how do you feel about that? Do you still agree with that? Was it a lost year?
1: No, it clearly (laughs) wasn't. So I will, uh, in hindsight, retract the statement. (laughs) Thank you. I I mean, that's why I thought it was so great, though, because all
2: of us were like, you you know, we had a good season this year, but we really made next to no improvements. You know, Adley could hit a sophomore slump. This could happen. You know, we'll probably have some improvements. We're going to keep working in new guys and they'll struggle at the beginning. And we said all this stuff to rationalize basically staying even. And, you know, like it's still being a progression in the long run, but none of us thought that we were going to make any kind of significant improvement this year. And we were all just so wildly
1: wrong. Well, it was basically the same team, right? Yeah. So, right, right, I Not mean, that's why we felt mean. like, you know, the, yeah. I feel like I, we were still very justified back then in feeling how we did. about yeah, no,
2: yeah. You know, it, it, yeah. it was instead of Jordan Lyles, you have Kyle Gibson. And instead right.
0: of Ruben Nittledore, you have Adam Frazier. It You right. know, just like. And very... James McCann instead of Robinson Chirinos. Right. H- huge addition. Yeah. And, 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 and... <laughs> I mean you this did have we did game have games. Henderson
1: right this year, which we didn't have last well, but we, year I at mean, the very end. I think yeah. we talked
0: about, you know, he's a rookie and you know yeah. some swing and miss in his game. And oh he, sure, he sure. We saw that the first month, like that was a accurate word. Month and a half. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Definitely. And I,
0: and I will say that the Vegas over under at the time was 76 and a half. So they thought we, we were optimistic by that standard. Right. Because we, you know, you stand pat, you're typically moving backwards which is what Vegas kind of anticipated and the Orioles had a negative run differential in, in 2022. So it was like an understandable thing to be like, Hey, slightly under 500, but yeah, they just blew the doors off of it. And you know, we are very much not alone in this prediction being wrong and I'm happy to be wrong by 18 games.
2: Yeah. I I think that I'll swallow the pain of being wrong with my
1: 101 win scoop of sugar, you know? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I also do think that, like, just looking at sort of the facts and the evidence that we were looking at at the time, though, I I don't think we were. I Obviously, we came to the wrong conclusion, but sort of I don't think there was a real flaw in our logic and how we no. were sort of thinking about the situation at the time. So.
0: No, I mean, I, and I don't think we have to go overboard in defending ourselves. Uh, right. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to. I just, yeah, right, right. Yeah. Reasonable expectation. Um. All right, moving on to our all-star predictions. We, again, we're, were pretty close on this. Um. We all predicted the Orioles would have multiple all-stars, which the Orioles did. The, in reality, the Orioles sent four players to the all-star game. And those four were Yenny Erkano, Felix Bautista. Austin Hayes, which is kind of the surprise one, and then Adley Rutschman. I mean, Cano was a surprise one, too, if you look at the start of the season, for sure. Um, and our predictions were I guessed Rutschman, Bautista, and Santander. Uh, Eli guessed Rutschman, Bautista, and Henderson. And then Jesse only guessed Rutschman and Bautista. So you were the most pessimistic, but you're also kind of the most right. Because <laughs> I didn't pick someone who didn't go, right? Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, So I I don't know what to say here. I mean, it's Cano was definitely shocking. If you look at the start of the year, Austin Hayes, I think we'll kind of Austin Hayes will be the one I feel like we in 10 years will look back and be like, oh, wow, Austin Hayes was an all star. Like, right.
1: Right. And if you look (laughs) at the second half of the if, you know, if we had the all star game at the end of the year, he wouldn't have been an all star by any stretch. So,
0: no, and it does. It sort of sets the stage for the offseason a little bit. I think, you know, we'll talk about the offseason here in the future, but. I think the Oral's got to move some outfielders around somehow, some way. Austin Hayes feels a little susceptible there. I told my wife that the other day, and she was devastated. She likes Austin Hayes because he's got two little kids. She likes to see him on Instagram. So my life (laughs) could be turned upside down if Austin Hayes is traded this winter. So just remember me when that happens. Um, But, yeah, no, we did pretty well there. Um, Rutschman and Bautista, we nailed that. Uh, You know, I will say pretty easy, pretty easy to guess Rutschman and Bautista. So, Jesse – negative points there you didn't really take a chance but um, (laughs) still still you were right it's like whose line is it anyway you
2: know where the points are made up and the rules don't matter or something yeah exactly Exactly. made up and the points don't matter yeah (laughs) but quick note on austin hayes yeah uh, just looking at first half second half splits first half he went 314 355 498 for an 853 ops second half of the season 228 289 378 for 667 um So, yeah, about 20% better um, in the first half of the year and about 20% worse in the second half of the year. Actually, 30% better in the first half.
0: Yeah, I mean, he was bad in the second. And then, like, I mean, not talking about all-stars, but Cedric Mullins, before he got hurt, looked like almost an MVP candidate and definitely an all-star. And then he fell off a cliff in the second half, too. So the fact that two of your everyday outfitters were, like, pretty bad in the second half and the Orioles still were very good in the second half... Um, really speaks a lot to how well some of the other players played, which chief among them, I think, was Gunnar Henderson. So we're going to talk Rookie of the Year. Now, nobody gets technically anointed Rookie of the Year of the Orioles, but a Rookie of the Year of the League does get announced. And although it hasn't been announced yet as of this recording, it certainly feels like Gunnar Henderson is going to be named Rookie of the Year. Um, he did He did just win the Player's Choice AL um, yeah. Most
2: Outstanding Rookie which you know we'll count it
0: yeah it's the the number of awards is very confusing uh <laughs> the the awards that actually like not matter i won't say but like are considered the awards like mvp and rookie are the baseball writers association of america those are coming out i think later this month maybe december who knows mlb does a terrible job of making it obvious when those get announced no. um or like football it's like at the super bowl that's when they're announced whereas like the World Series over. Nobody cares about baseball right now at large. Um, but anyway, uh, Gunnar Henderson is probably going to be rookie of the year. And it was a clean sweep for us in the preseason as well. Jesse said Gunner, I said Gunner, And Eli said Gunner, along with a quote here that says, there's really no explanation necessary, I don't think. Uh, which is fair. Although, that first month and a half, I think we were all kind of like, uh-oh. <laughs> uh, although, in the first half,
2: I, I remember we were – explicitly saying you know he is taking pitches he is drawing walks and he is seeing the you know he's seeing the baseball it's just the swing hasn't come along yet so i I think we we stood by our guy and yeah justification as to why he was the correct choice uh in hindsight there is also no explanation necessary
0: Yeah, I mean, if not Gunner, I think. Uh, although he's older, Yenier Cano was a rookie this year. Technically, I think he's 28, but was a rookie. If you go back throughout the season and look when they do the rookie dress up, Cano is in there looking massive and chiseled and older than everybody else. But uh, he was a rookie this year. Um, if not Yenier, I don't. I don't know who else would have been rookie of the year. I can't really think off the top of my head.
2: But you could say, you could say chiseled like a rock.
0: <laughs> yes. Wow. Exactly. I reached for that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um but yeah so those those are the two probably front runners for rookie of the year moving on to Cy Young again there's no Cy Young of the Orioles but uh there were we actually we did three different picks here I will say I, f- I think I felt a little pressured to pick someone different but I did ultimately pick Dean Kramer mm-hmm. as uh the preseason rookie of the year or rookie of the year Cy Young uh he was fine Dean was fine but definitely not Dean was good s- Definitely not Cy Young quality and certainly not in the ALDS. Uh, Jesse went with Felix Bautista. And you said, he's just so incredible and so fantastic, which is so true. Thumbs it <laughs> up, basically. Yeah. Unfortunately, he didn't finish the season. So I think we probably have to hand the Cy Young award to Kyle Bradish, And that's who Eli picked. Eli said, my logical pick would probably be Felix also. But that being said, I'm going Kyle Bradish, And uh, you were certainly, you know. Shown to be correct. I, I,
2: I felt it down deep. I'm tapping the center of the eight on my Lamar jersey right now. It just, I felt it in there. I went with it and I'll be signing autographs at the end of the episode.
0: <laughs> Thank you. We'll, we will not be here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I mean, Brad, like, you know, it's, it's interesting with Bradish though, because he went certainly beyond, like, I think what I typically think of as like a good Orioles pitcher, like a Chris Tillman type, you know, and Chris Tillman made an all-star game, but like, you know, a guy who we think of as like a two or a three on other teams. A lot of times Kyle Bradish was straight up. Great straight up, like a top 10 top five pitcher in the AL this year. And I kind of think he's going to keep being one for a while. Um, I don't, I don't know. It was just, na- it was nasty. It was nasty all year. It didn't come in streaks. It was like, he was just great. I don't know if there's anything else to say there, but it was amazing.
2: It, yeah. I I think just very quickly, sorry, just, he was so under the radar. Great. You, you know, he was, yeah. Quiet about it all year long. Just consistently, some of the best breaking stuff in the game. And like you said, it, you know, it didn't seem like he ever really blew up for any, you know, three game stretch or anything like that. It was just solid, not not solid. It was steady but good. I mean, good to great performance year long. Um, and he will definitely get some AL Cy Young votes.
0: Yeah, I mean, he felt like an ace, which is just not something the Orioles have really had i you know there's been i think sort of a tongue-in-cheek way of viewing john means for a couple years now like john means day like john means business and he obviously has some of that upside there but like john means will not fall apart but he'll have like a like a four inning four run game and you're like all right well that like sucked I, i wasn't super into that he'll walk half the lineup but bradish it's like i'm gonna go six i might give up three but like that's as bad as it's gonna be i'm probably gonna go seven and give up one you know and like That's just ace behavior that the Orioles haven't had, uh, I don't know, since Messina, you know? I love Rodrigo Lopez. He'd have a couple of good starts, but that's probably been – well, Eric Bedard had that one really good season. But hopefully hopefully he's more Messina than Bedard moving forward. Um, All right, moving on to most valuable Oriole. um, This has been announced. This is a real award that the press gives out to Orioles players or to one Orioles player every year. And they named Gunnar Henderson the most valuable Oriole, um, and one of us nailed that and was ridiculed for the prediction. I don't know about ridiculed, but we didn't we didn't really love the prediction at the time. <laughs> so Eli and I both picked Adley Rutschman. Uh, I, uh, I said I don't think it's terribly close in my mind at the time, but I did give Jesse this, and Jesse did pick Gunnar Henderson as most valuable Oriole prior to the season. I said to Jesse, you could make us both look very silly. And I don't know if I would say you made us look silly, but you were right, Jesse, about your Gunnar Henderson pick. Um, and Eli also, when he went back and listened, uh, took note of a projected batting line that he, uh, that Jesse put together at the time. Jesse predicted that Gunnar Henderson would hit 275 with a 340 on base and a 460 uh, slugging percentage, which gives you an 800 OPS. And Gunner ended up with a 255 batting average with a 325 on base and a 489 slugging. So in reality, he was a bit better than what Jesse thought, but still pretty close at an 814 OPS. So, Jess, do you want to take your victory lap?
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean. I, he overcame a couple sort of natural obstacles, right? Uh, if you put him head to head against Adley. Um, of course, if they produce similarly offensively, um, I guess they're just a sort of uh, some structural sort of advantages, Adley being a catcher um, sure. and stuff like that. Um, also, at the beginning of the season, it wasn't clear where Gunnar Henderson was going to be playing every day, um, whether that was going to be second, short or third. Um, I mean, we sort of thought it'd be shorter third, you know, um, but, um, so when you get shuffled around your defensive value, isn't going to sort of be there, but, um, just, I mean, I don't know. And at the beginning of the, at the beginning of the season, I was discouraged about my pick. I was like, <laughs> why, why did I do that? You know, but, um, of course he's just incredibly talented and uh he did almost have 30 home runs this season um and for a rookie i mean that's incredible so um yeah i mean i i i think uh you know i it would have been interesting to see who you guys would have selected if adley had not been an option um whether you would have gone with santander or mullins or something like that i would have been curious about that um but yeah i don't know i uh, I think part of the pick was also just based on how phenomenal how phenomenal he was at the end of last season too, which sort of made me think he could put a really good season together. So,
0: yeah, I mean he was he was great. I think you know us picking Adley wasn't a terrible pick. Obviously, I think he ended up obviously super valuable. You might put him behind Bradish too in terms of most valuable Oriole, but I think Adley's on the podium. I, I, obviously, there are some uh intangibles that Adley has that as a leader and stuff that don't go in a stat sheet. I think they're still valuable. And I, I don't think it makes it it has him leap Gunner or anything like that. But yeah, I mean Adley's a super valuable piece, but Gunner, I think just the power he provides, the speed on the bases. Defensively, obviously Adley's very good, but Gunner really grew into the position. He he was still shuffling between short and, and third. I think that became it became more predictable for him uh, in the second half of the year, especially where Jorge would play against lefties and, and play shortstop and Gunnar would slide to third um, and he would play short against righties. But <clears throat> yeah, I mean, Gunnar's just an incredible talent and you, you hope will just continue to grow. And and right now he seems to be on a trajectory to far outshine Adley, at least offensively, um, maybe won't become the face of the franchise type thing. I think you could see something where sort of an Adam Jones, Manny Machado, where I think Adam Jones was always the face of the Orioles, but Machado was certainly the better Player, you could see a Gunner and Adley situation there, but pretty awesome that we've got two guys there. And now you throw Bradish into the mix as a a pitcher that sort of came out of nowhere to be super valuable. The fact that you've got three, I think, guys you could make arguments for as the most valuable Oriole. Of course, Gunner, Gunner was it; he was the pick. But it's pretty neat to have three really good players like that, and sets the Orioles to be really good for 2024. And I just hope this winter they recognize that and find reinforcements accordingly, but yeah, it was just a really fun season.
2: I wanted to, um, quickly shout out that Gunner is a finalist for the silver slugger for the utility position. Um, and because so few people who perform at his level do swap between positions, um, he's like easily the front runner for it. Um, so credit to him for that. And then another quick note, um, I thought that Jesse's, uh, like predicted triple slash line was pretty interesting. Um, You know, Jesse brought up that Gunner hit 28 bombs. You know, I think that for me, him approaching 30 home runs in his first full season was pretty unlikely. You know, I would have expected 20 to 23, somewhere in there. Um, And so like the way that Gunner deviated from what Jesse and I think the majority of us would have predicted at the beginning of the year was he actually like sacrificed some of his obp sacrificed contact and sold out for power toward the end of the year um and to kind of illustrate that point for the first half of the year he hit 246 342 455 um and in the second half that 342 obp dropped to 308 but the slugging jumped from 455 to 521 so you know clearly um you know, we talked about him being super, super patient in at-bats at the beginning of the year, seeing the ball a lot, and he drew a ton of walks. Um, But, you know, once he got an eye for the ball, he really started trying to attack it. Um, And so I thought that was kind of an interesting development because, you know, he... I, I think throughout most of his minor league career, he was such a high OBP guy. Um, And, you know, I think that some of that could be attributed to it is minor leaguers facing him and he was the best player in every lineup that he was in, in the minor leagues. And, you know, there's a bit of normalization when you get to the majors. Um, But I do think there was a like distinct shift in approach as the year went on uh, towards really attacking more in the zone, not letting himself get as deep in counts. Uh, And I thought that was a really interesting um, just kind of note on his progression throughout the year. I'm curious how he carries it into next. Um, But, you know, Net, it was like a 30-point bump on his total OPS uh, in the second half relative to the first. So, you know, clearly working for him, clearly a wildly successful year. Um, And you got to be excited about, you know, what we see moving forward. He could get 35, 40 bombs. I think the ceiling is uh, limitless.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's, the power point is important because I think that's a, a weakness of this team in 2023 is there just wasn't, a ton of power overall. It was pretty much uh Henderson and and Santander, and you know everybody else was like a nice piece. I think Mountcastle wasn't quite as much power as you would have hoped, and that some of that was the platoon that he kind of had working with O'Hearn for part of the season. O'Hearn, as good of a season as he had, wasn't a super powerful guy, especially in the second half. I think his like home run per at bat rate really started to drop. But yeah, I mean, there's the best maybe yet to come for Henderson, and if he's a forty bomb guy, I mean, it's a whole other level that we're talking about here. Um, so, yeah, just really good numbers there, Eli. So that was that was great. Before I wrap it up, we figured we could talk about our favorite moments of the 2023 season. Um, I'm trying to rack my brain now to kind of figure out uh, what that might be, to be honest with you. But, Eli, I don't know. Did you have a moment off the top of your head or or one you're thinking about that really stood out to you?
2: Yeah, the first one for me, I, I think uh, it when I look back on the season, definitely – among the things that I will remember most is the Homer hoes, you know, like the splash celebrations. And with that, you have to go with um, Cedric Mullins hitting for the cycle, you know, coming up in his final at bat, hitting a bomb onto the flag court in the inaugural game of the bird bath. Um, And, you know, our like first introduction to Mr. Splash, he's going crazy as, you know, this truly like historic thing is happening. Um, You know, I think it was the seventh, player to hit for a cycle in Orioles history um yeah I, so that was just a super special moment and you know for somebody who's been on the team for a while overcome struggles you know somebody that Baltimore has I think really fallen in love with Uh, pretty special moment
0: yeah absolutely uh Jess do you have anything that really sticks out to you
1: yeah I mean I of course love the Cedric Mullins uh, moments too um but also just uh also really appreciated the Adley home run derby situation just because, um, it's rare that we get to be represented nationally and on national TV. And, uh, whenever the O's used to play like Sunday night baseball and stuff like that, I was always really excited. Um, so yeah, I mean, just the fact that basically, basically all the baseball world was paying attention. The fact that, he demonstrated his uh switch hitting ability in a situation where it's not common and uh, you know, it's not done. Um, it was really cool to see, so um, yeah, and he didn't win the home run derby, but he performed really well in it, so
0: yeah, no, that I do that's a good point. I think that kind of that sticks to me too because that was always a special thing when you saw the Orioles mentioned nationally, especially like growing up, I would like specifically like the Orioles game would end and I'd switch to like baseball tonight to watch the highlight. Come on. Like, Oh my God. Like the Carl and they wouldn't show it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. They wouldn't show it because it'd be like Orioles versus Rays back in the day when both teams were terrible. And it's like, we're not even going to talk about this, but yeah, when I could see Carl Ravick talk about the Orioles, I was like, this is a huge deal. Um, so hopefully we see more of that. Um, in the future. I mean, I think like my favorite moment is probably like a very easy one. I, I think it was um, the series against Tampa in like mid-September when they actually clinched a playoff spot. Um, they won in that walk-off game. Uh, I think Cedric hit like a sack fly to center field to drive in the winning run. Um, just just huge. I mean, it, at that point in the year, we knew the Orioles were going to the playoffs, you know, knew, quote unquote. Uh, it was pretty much a mathematic, impo- mathematical and mathematical that they wouldn't go to the playoffs. But the fact that it actually happened, it felt very like emblematic. Like the, the rebuild is over. They are here. They just beat the Rays who had started the year on fire and they looked like the best team in the world. And the Orioles are now, you know, they're better than them. They got the playoff first playoff spot in the AL, just like super emblematic. And it was cool that Mullins was the one that had the, the RBI to to do it. Um, But all your, all your points were really good. Eli, I, I was interested about, the Mr. Splash thing. If the Orioles had kept going in the playoffs and had get, gotten, there was like some cold days here in Baltimore in late September right. or late right. October. Um, were they going to do that if like guys people were in parkas? You at have Canyon to, Yard? yeah, you have, you have to. to, yeah. But that would have been, and
2: and, and I would have still sat out there. I would have, <laughs> you know, had <laughs> hot cocoa flowing. But that would have been pretty cool.
0: Maybe that's that if they switch it up. They're spraying hot cocoa on. Well, that <laughs> that could have been a a burn a burn incident or something there.
2: Uh, I echoing that one, Tyler, I wanted to add one more and I have a special affinity for this one, but you can't do it. It's fair. Yeah. Well, I'm (laughs) overriding the host. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I, I was at the first game of this series. And so I think I have Uh a special affinity, but being down in Florida, um, when we first took over the division lead from the Rays, it was in that series in July um, and I actually just jumped on with Connor Newcomb on lockdown Orioles. And we talked about this exact thing, but um, you know, the Orioles took three of four in Tampa. Felix Bautista had uh, a two winning win in the first game. Uh, we managed to win four, three in extras. He gets two saves in the final two games. So, you know, we win three games and he got a win in two saves. Like he was just dominant and, You know, the Orioles going into Tampa's house and taking three or four from them, taking the division lead from them. I mean, it it felt like every moment against Tampa this year was so wildly dramatic. You you know, there were such. I I think it was purely because they did start off so hot and everyone was like, "Okay, well, the Rays are winning the division. Let's figure out how the rest is going to shake out. And it felt like the Orioles at every moment rose to the occasion and said, no, we are here. You know, like this is us announcing ourselves and we can play with those guys. Um, and so, yeah, that like late July series against Tampa in Tampa where we took over the division lead and did not lose it the rest of the year because yeah. of the, the or because of the series that Tyler mentioned. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it yeah. phenomenal. Like th- there are so many things to choose from. Like w- we ignored a nine RBI game. We ignored Yenier Cano. Going 32 consecutive at bats without giving up a hit when he started, it's you know started the season. It's like, it, yeah, it was a phenomenal season. And uh, yeah, there's even yeah. more. Santander's walk off bomb, Mullins in Seattle. I don't even know. I'm just, I'm just saying stuff now. But <laughs> just like to you know to really like grasp how exciting this year was and how many individual moments uh, did contribute to that is a really special thing.
0: Well, I think like the games against the Rays have, they felt special all year and it'll be interesting to see how that develops moving forward. Um, b- Because it's, it was a couple years ago, the Orioles won one game against the Rays. They went like one and 18 or something against yeah. them. So it's just like, you know, the, the, it's all turned around. And, you know, when you think about the AL East at large, I think people think Red Sox, Yankees. Um, if the Orioles and the Rays could have some kind of fun rivalry here moving forward while they're both pretty good, um, and maybe we keep the Red Sox and the Yankees down there at the bottom of the division. That'd be really cool. Um, I would, I would like that a lot. as much as I, I would love that. I, I love hate that. when the Orioles play at Tropicana Field because just on TV it is so ugly. Aesthetically, I hate when they're there. Um, but I'll take it if there's good baseball being played. I'm fine with that. Fair. Um, it,
1: I, I, I completely understand that <laughs> it's aesthetically horrible, but. I'm sort of so used to it and I'm just conditioned yeah. with it and I'm fine with it. And, you know, I, uh, I like going down there. It, oh, well, yeah. Assuming I mean, we win. The assuming fact we... that
0: Eli can go to the games is that makes it cool. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: Yeah. It, it's two and a half hours from me and that's the closest baseball stadium, which is extremely sad. You know, like <laughs> I almost want them to bring a team to Orlando. If yeah, there was a team in Orlando, I would live in Orlando and I would have season tickets like unequivocally. Yeah. It doesn't matter who the team is. But um
0: until then. Yeah, I don't know. Until Those Disney buys, got. Yeah. You never know. Disney might get in the baseball business. Yeah, right.
2: They do um, have uh Atlanta's spring training is at Disney, as a matter of oh, fact. Okay.
0: The world of okay. sports or whatever. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. All right. Well, that's gonna wrap up our 2023 recap. Um we will now move into like some off season coverage here. I, I think last year we weren't super consistent with the uploads shocker there, but we will try to improve uh, this off season. We'll try to give it, get a better cadence going on. We're talking about that right now. Um, likely to be kind of a dead period in baseball for a little bit here. Typically there's not a lot going on before Thanksgiving, but you know, if something big happens with the Orioles, we're we'll definitely bring, we'll definitely get on the mic. Um, and in addition, we'll we'll try to get on here a little bit more frequently this off season. Um, but yeah, that's been about it. Exciting season, exciting to talk about it and hopefully a lot more good baseball uh, in Baltimore moving forward. But guys, anything else to, to add before we sign off?
1: Thank you, everybody. It was yeah. a good yeah. year. All
0: right. Well, yeah. Yeah.
2: just real quick. We, we appreciate everyone listening <laughs> for sure. And it's yes. you know fun to get with you guys and like enjoy the season and enjoy Orioles baseball, like collectively amongst the three. Us the way that we do. uh special spend this time with you guys and special yeah. that people actually like what we have to say. So, thanks everyone.
0: Yeah, we have a small but mighty audience and we really appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, thank you. If you're not subscribed, please do. I should say that at the end here. Please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts. I know you hey, like hey, go. Google Podcasts, yes. uh, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your shows, uh, give us a follow there and and please rate us five stars if you could. That would be awesome. And also give us a follow over on X slash Twitter at the Warehouse Pod. And you can also subscribe to us on Substack and get us sent to your email inbox. That'd be the warehousepod.substack.com. And if you have any questions or concerns or questions, you know, you know, things you want just us to know about, you can email us directly the pod at gmail.com. But until next time, this has been the warehouse podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. Thank you for listening.